I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How do you feel? I'm feeling uneasy, man. Well, look, Mark, I don't want to suggest anything that might be uncomfortable for you, but you might consider, just consider the possibility that part of your problem, part of the thing that's making you so miserable is the angst over killing a lot of people. I got invited to my 10-year high school reunion. What am I going to say? Killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? Get out of town. Visit with what's her name? Debbie. Go see some old friends. Have some punch. Don't kill anybody for a few days. See what it feels like. I'll give it a shot. Don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. Hey there, and welcome to Rewatchability. We're on the Entertainment One Podcast Network. My name is Blaine Waters. With me, as always, is Robert Laronde. And? Oh, wait. Hold on. I've got a thing. Okay. <laughs> Say and again. <laughs> and <laughs> is is that, was my... is that your name? That's are you did. are you a blister uh, in the sun? Are you a violent no, fan? It's it's Jay oh, McNabb. Okay. All right. I just I had my guitar coincidentally sitting here, and I thought. I should do something. Yeah. It was my it nice. Was my, nice. When, when I played the drums in high school, it was my favorite song to play on the drums until it got into the song itself. But the intro was you just hit the snare <laughs> drum twice, and that was really fun to play. Along. <laughs> right. Well, that's nothing. My kids could play that. Hey, man, wow. that took me five years Aww, of practice. Poor Blaine. Okay. <laughs> well, if you can't tell from uh, from that lovely introduction by JM, we're talking about gross point blank before we get into the movie we want to thank our patreons thank you so much for going to patreon.com slash rewatchability and giving one three five dollars a month to us dudes doing this podcast uh, we really appreciate it and it keeps the podcast going if it wasn't for that we might have to like you know start taking on odd jobs if you know what i mean <laughs> oh, god um so if you don't know like what we painting mean, we, fences with human blood um <laughs> i heard you do that <laughs> so this week on rewatchability we have a pretty big movie for me anyway we'll see what you guys think of it gross point blank starring john kuzak starring joan kuzak all the kuzaks are in this there's do you say kuzak yeah, I, thought it was kuzak. Or, I thought it was kuzak too 
j'accuse. Um, <laughs> no, I I'm saying it wrong. Then um, no, I don't Q- know. Maybe I have no idea what it is. I'll take my Cusack from you guys and and say Cusack. This has all the Cusack siblings in it. It uh, also has Minnie Driver and um, a lot of writers and uh, George Armitage, who we've talked about before on the podcast, directed for the what was it called Miami Miami Blues. Heat? Miami Blues. Miami Blues. Oh, yeah, that's Blues. the basketball I, team. <laughs> how do I know the title? I wasn't on that episode. You know about movies, know though. See, that's the thing. We don't. I really liked that movie when I was a kid, so I, I wish that I had been on that episode because uh, <laughs> I remember enjoying that one. Mm. It was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into it. Rob, when did you first see Gross Point Blank? Yeah, I saw this movie on the Movie Network. I'd already seen High Fidelity at the time, so I was a big fan of John Cusack, and I just thought he was really cool. At the time, I was in theater school, I wanted to be an actor, and he seemed like a really cool actor. Like, he did all this, like, cool, like, political theater stuff. He's in, like, the, the what's it called? The Cradle Will Rock? I almost said The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. <laughs> <laughs> but he seemed like a really cool guy. So when I saw this movie, I thought it was, like, really cool. It had a lot, a lot of the same tone as High Fidelity. There was, like, lots of, uh, I guess, lots of music that I liked and mm-hmm. uh, recognized. So, yeah, I liked it. I don't know if I had seen it since the first time. You know, it doesn't it there's something about it that doesn't really stick with me like i there's like i remember the humor i guess i remember dan Aykroyd because he seems so like he seems so weird in that part <laughs> but yeah yeah i mean i was excited to see it again because i only had uh i think positive memories of it what about you jam i love this movie i was a big fan of it i saw it opening day in the theater wow. nice. after school like a matinee and i it's so funny. It made such an impression on me that like watching it again now, like there are still jokes where I remember where the big laughs were. Mm, like in the theater. That first time wow. I saw it. Yeah. And I liked it so much that I saw it on that Friday that it came out. And then two days later, me and the same friend I had seen it with <laughs> were planning on going to see a movie and we we're looking at like the movie listings and we we're both just like fuck i i think i just want to go see gross point blank again so we went and saw it again two days wow. later we were that invested and i remember it being like a huge movie uh in our age group like we were it's weird because i was thinking about it now it's like what did i latch onto so much about it being like a 12 or 13 year old nostalgia even been to high <laughs> yeah. school yeah it was like nostalgia for a thing i had not even experienced yet which is kind of weird but uh i mean we'll talk about that more later but i remember everybody kind of buzzing about it i remember like me and my friend going to see it and other people in our grade on monday being like oh my god you saw gross point blank like what was it like and you know <laughs> recounting the events of uh, the legend of of Martin Blank. Um, And I, yeah, I became mildly obsessed with this movie. I also, like, a big thing for me, like I'm sure for a lot of fans of this movie, was the music and the soundtrack. So good. And I had the soundtrack on cassette. Whoa. And I wore that thing thin listening to it. And I had, I even had like, they put out, you know, if it's a good soundtrack if they have like two volumes. Mm-hmm. Cause they put out like the second volume with music uh, that didn't quite make the cut <laughs> <laughs> in the first one. Grosser point blank. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had both of them. I listened to them constantly. And it was, it was also kind of a re- revelation because 
I think for like kids at the time who, you know, didn't know a lot about music or maybe just starting to get into music in the nineties, like the kind of like, you know, grunge rock consensus <laughs> for kids at the time was that like eighties music was bad. Right? right. Sure. Rob, you remember yeah. that. Uh, I remember like, I remember the Grunge Symposium. Kurt Cobain spoke on the terrors of eighties music. <laughs> but just like that's what like, you know, starting to listen to the radio as like a kid, you know, watching much music here in Canada and music videos, like there was a sense that right. like this is good music in the eighties was like a wasteland of like synthy garbage. Yeah. And getting into this was like, you know, it's funny because this movie is so about like looking back at this music and looking back at these bands, but this was like the first time I'd heard The Clash and Echo and the Bunnymen <laughs> right. and all of these bands that I came to love. But it was almost, yeah, it almost acted as like a surrogate older brother, you know, kind right. of like introducing <laughs> these bands to me. So yeah, this this was a huge movie for me. I've seen it a couple times since I've been older, but it's been a while. What about you, Blaine? You said this was a big one. Yeah, for you too. I just absolutely loved it. I got the poster from the video store when it was like I, I asked the guy when it was going to come down and like how much it was going to be like I planned for it like I, I wanted it wow I put I put it above my drum set um at, <laughs> you wow. were like <laughs> so you could play <laughs> that one part <laughs> so I could just hit it twice in succession um and uh yeah I just I remember the the poster so vividly because of that and the movie itself so vividly I I bought the the tape when I could afford it. It was just, it was just like such a. I just loved that it was like an action romance. It it, was, it kind of is the movie that might have really got me into rom coms at an early age. Oh, uh, because this was kind of not when like, Harry met Sally. Well, I think when Harry met Sally was uh, was more formative for me later. I'm not taking you. it as a joke. Uh, no, when Harry met Sally is a big deal for me. But no, I this this kind of felt like it was a rom com geared for dudes. Like it was like we're gonna have all the gunfights and we're gonna have this guy who see also the entire career of John Cusack. Yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah, and like the big hit which we've done on this podcast really early that I think came after this movie and was like, hey, we're the grosser point blank, like you said, Rob. It wasn't. And I, uh, yeah, I just love this movie so much. Can we just say, well, while you're talking about the poster, just before I forget, I think this might be the best example of like a huge discrepancy between the quality of the movie and the shittiness of a (laughs) poster. (laughs) This is a terrible poster. Well, it's just like, yeah, John Cusack and Minnie Driver facing each other, right? Like, there's nothing nothing much to it. They're, like, standing there. They're, like, boxed in by, like, yellow bars. And then there's this, like... Pink background? Amateurishly photoshopped, like, banner of, like, class of 86, (laughs) like, waving behind them. Yeah. Is there even a gun in the poster? Like, is he holding a a gun? I think in one of the posters, he's, like, making, like, a finger gun. (laughs) It's just, like... That doesn't tell you anything this movie is about. So, yeah, the poster... Has fingers in it. It does. There's a lot of finger pointing. But yeah, I, I quite love this movie. I also really remember it being really strange when I first watched it. Like, really caustic and weird. And then thinking that that must have been a mismemory of it. But watching it again, realizing that that's just the kind of, like crazy energy between these two actors on screen john, john cusack and mini driver which we'll we'll get into so rob why don't you run down the movie for those who haven't seen gross point blank okay so john cusack 
plays Martin Q. Blank. And he is a, a hitman, a gun for hire, if you will, an assassin. And he, he, it's his profession. It's not a hobby. You know, he does this to bring home the bacon. And so when we see him, he's sort of in the middle of a job. And he sort of does all this while he's talking on the phone to his assistant, played by his sister, Joan Cusack. <laughs> it's a package deal every time. It's a package deal. It's usually two for one. But you're right. There are like 18 Cusacks in this movie. Yeah. So it's a family and reunion. And they're all amazing. <laughs> They're all great. Yeah, yeah. First family of acting. But he is a hitman, and, you know, he's taking out this guy, and he shoots the guy and does the thing. And it's sort of like it's sort of like he do- barely even stops his conversation with his assistant in order to, to kill, take a person's life. But, you know, that's just the game. That's just what it's yeah, like when you're a but, hitman. But they were all bad, Rob. They're bad dudes. Someone sent him to kill them and therefore they're bad that's his kind of like philosophy in this movie well he is in this opening scene like they do have it specifically be him killing another yeah Mm -hmm. yeah exactly like he he's preventing an assassination so like they they do find early ways to try and make this professional killer kind of like yeah 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 because they also have like in, in a moment in like the next scene, like you know the, the the like screenwriting like save the cat moment, like make this guy likable is him refusing to blow up a, a Greenpeace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even yeah. though they deserve it, right? <laughs> <laughs> no? Stupid environment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who needs it? Yeah, but somebody comes along after he kills this person who's going to kill the other person and kills the person that the person that he killed was supposed to kill. So that's not great. This is how the screenwriter pitched it in the meeting, right? <laughs> right this guy kills this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's, he's murdered by Dan Aykroyd, Canada's own beloved Ghostbuster. And, I mean, it's a bit startling when you see middle-aged Dan Aykroyd gunned down a couple of people. It's a visual metaphor for the Ghostbusters franchise. <laughs> Do you think that the Ghostbusters have like some sort of uh, deal? Like he he kills, he makes more ghosts and then they bust them? Oh man, there's your there's your sequel idea. Just like a really dark turn where there's there's no ghosts left in New York City, so so Ray has to go around murdering, criminals. just making sure they have unfinished business before. Like, hey, have you achieved your yeah. dreams? No, great. <laughs> just as soon as someone drops off dry cleaning, <laughs> murder them. And he's doing other hits as well. Like he he there's this one that he tries to do where he's in this. The ceiling above this guy who's sleeping and he has this syringe and like this liquid presumably poison is running down this thread and it's going to drip into his mouth that's pretty fucking cool mm-hmm. but also makes me not want to sleep <laughs> <laughs> right? well you should yeah you should check your ceiling every time you go to go to bed rob well, i'm staring right up wow. at it I- <laughs> I took a I took a lot of things away from this movie, and not one of them was "Don't go to sleep." <laughs> but you know, to each yeah, his own. Well, and so I mean, he's he's not he's he, his head doesn't seem to be quite in the game anyway. But his assistant has gotten this letter for him, all about his upcoming tenth year high school reunion, and she really thinks that he should go. 
and he's not really interested. He he doesn't want to go back and be nostalgic and reminisce. He's you know he's left all that behind him. But because he messed up the job, the guys who were paying him want him to do like a freebie in Detroit, which just happens to be right by where he went to high school, where the reunion is happening. So he might as well just go, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> he, he, he does. Well, he he's also encouraged to go by his therapist, played by Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. Arkin. Oh, yeah, Alan Man. Arkin's, I mean, amazing so and everything. Good. He's but, so great. You know, he, correction, he's not his therapist. He is, <laughs> I mean, he is basically holding Alan Arkin hostage. I love and, I love the little banter of like the I'm emotionally involved like I think you're gonna kill me that's why I'm emotionally involved like I just love I love his uh, his fear throughout the entire scene. Martin, you didn't tell me what you did for a living. For, yes, I did. You didn't tell me what you did for a living for four sessions. Then you told me, and I said I don't want to work with you. And yet you come back every week at the same time. That's a difficulty for me. On top of that, if you've committed a crime or if you're thinking about committing a crime, I have to tell the authorities. I know the law, okay? But I don't want to be withholding. I'm very serious about this process. And I know where you live. Oh, and I see. That wasn't a nice thing to say. That wasn't designed to make me feel good. It's, it's so amazing. good. But I also, one th- I don't know that I buy Alan Arkin being afraid of John Cusack. John Cusack being afraid of Alan Arkin, yes, 100%. But Alan Arkin's like, too much of a tough, like, shit, you know? Like, I don't, you know, he, he doesn't seem terrified to me. <laughs> I I do like that he has that kind of, like, um, I you know, when, like, one dog meets another dog and, like, lowers its head or whatever as a show of contrition? Like, Alan mm-hmm. Arkin does that in the entire scene. He's, like, looking down at his desk, moving yeah. things on his desk. Like, how, how, I don't know. How do you want me to respond to you? I don't know. Like, don't kill me. Uh, I just love everything. Well, every, you know... Every one thing I don't, I didn't really remember from seeing it when I was younger uh, is that everyone in these opening scenes that John Cusack interacts with is immediately relieved when he leaves the room. <laughs> yeah, like even his assistant, played by Joan Cusack, like as soon as he he leaves, she just goes, oh. and like this tension goes. And the same thing happens with Alan Arkin. So like, even though, yeah, he's not like the most obviously threatening person like there is something about this john cusack character this kind of sociopathic killer that like puts people uh ill at ease you know that makes them they feel better when he's not in the room and that's the thing with alan arkin it's not just that he's like afraid of him it's that he doesn't want him (laughs) to come there and he's told him repeatedly not to come yeah it's pretty it's pretty funny but um but so he Gets packed and he goes back to Michigan to Gross Point, I guess. And it's the town that he comes from. He hasn't been back in years. And he also, he is obsessed, as Alan Arkin says, with this person named Debbie. I mean, he has like these dreams about her. And we don't know who Debbie is at this point. Is it just an ice cream or a cake or something? Like little Debbie? (laughs) A little Debbie. <laughs> but he has some unfinished business. We're about to find out sort of what the nature of that is. So he drives through town. He basically, the first thing that he sees as he gets in the town is he, he turns his head and he sees 
the the radio station, which conveniently they just happened to be they had the broadcast booth right through the window, so you can see it on the uh, main street. But it just happens that Debbie, his long lost love, is working at the radio station. So this is very convenient because he can just hop out of the car and go see her. Mm-hmm. Which and at he this does. Point, at this point, we kind of meet these other two people that are following him, right? Hank Azaria and and Co. Yeah, that's right. He he's being pursued by uh, by other people, and they also Dan, Dan Aykroyd's character. He also wants to get Martin into this sort of like union of hitmen. He wants to basically create like the John Wick hotel thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's He's like, we got to get this before these other guys, before fucking Ian McShane fixes up his place. Because once he gets in there, you know, we're not, you know, it's not going to happen. Well, also, we should mention that the, the two guys following him are NSA agents. Mm-hmm. And the it's Hank Azaria and K. Todd Freeman mm-hmm. is the other actor. Yeah. And so they want to kill him, but only while he's doing something illegal. That's the that's the catch. That's apparently, I mean, this seems different from real life, where you know the authorities can only kill you if you're doing something wrong. In in real life, of course, they can kill you whenever, especially if you're like not a white person. But in this movie, uh, no, no, no. I mean, it's true. <laughs> It's true. It's but but it raises those kind of ethical questions really early in the script, which I kind of liked. Where everyone's kind of a killer, like even the supposed good guys that are going after Martin Blank are like, these. This is why we're the good guys. Like we're still psychopaths. We still want to kill him, but we have to follow this code, which, in a way, makes them a little worse than him because he's like, I'm thinking of giving yeah. it up. It's it's just a great little maneuver that uh, the screenwriter does here that I, I really like. I didn't yeah. I didn't really remember that. Like they do kind of like, I remember it being more about like how, I I mean, obviously it's, it's trying to make the argument that him being an assassin is a bad thing, but it does like, it does make you, it does make you buy into his argument that like the moral conduct that we, uh, that we adhere to is, you know, somewhat relative and there are gray areas. And especially in that scene where like the two NSA agents are talking and they're saying like, or one of them says, why can't we just go and kill the guy he's supposed to kill? And they're like, the other guy's like, whoa, 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 we're not criminals. We're going to watch while he kills that guy. <laughs> we're going to let it happen, and then we're going to kill him. And, and it's, that's why we're the good guys. And they're like, and then, and then we're <laughs> yeah. the good guys. Yeah, so like the movie does kind of like make this argument that like John Cusack is not a villain. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's doing things that are as bad as like two federal agents who are, you know, <laughs> Working within the confines of the law. Yeah. And I mean, especially later in the movie, John Cusack makes makes the point, drives it really, drives it home that like, yeah, governments and other other agencies do worse things all the time, like carpet bombing, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff about the uh, Iraq war in this movie. The first one I'm talking about. Talking about the first Iraq war, not the, oh, Jesus Christ, not the yeah. second one. Don't get too confused. No. Oh, yeah. there was no oh, yeah. there's, there's no sequel to this, but there was a sequel to that. So, <sighs> Well, there was a, a pseudo-sequel, <laughs> which we'll probably talk that's, about. That's true. That's true. But so Martin, he, he goes and sees Debbie at the radio station, and she... She puts him right on the air and is calling him out on his bullshit. I mean, particularly the bullshit that 
10 years ago at their prom, he stood her up and just fucking disappeared and didn't come back until this point in the movie, until the reunion. He just ghosted her. And we know that's not cool. Yeah. Leave a note. Leave a note. That's what I always say. (laughs) (laughs) Always leave a note. But, um, yeah, she, she has him on the radio, and she, she even takes, like, calls, you know, asking whether or not she should give him another chance. A girl sits in a $700 prom dress on the front steps of her house, waiting for the most romantic night of her young life. The boy never shows up. Not until now. So, what's the question? Where have I been? More like what happened, Mr. Black. I don't know. I mean, I, I could venture a guess, but I think it would sound like a rationalization, you know, some sort of a cop-out. I thought coming home, seeing some friends, and I thought maybe, you know, seeing you, of course, would be the most important part of that equation. That didn't, that didn't come out right. Uh, this, this is not like my idea. This whole, whole thing is my therapist's idea, really. And, uh, you know, this is pretty funny. This, you know, he's not happy to be on the radio, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun stuff. Yeah. It's a it's a good re meet cute, in terms of like the the rom comness of it all, especially with that like first kiss where they just are so attracted to each other and kiss, and then she totally digs into him and mm-hmm. breaks down why he was so mean to her in the past, and she it's it's I just love that whole sequence too. Yeah, yeah, I I, I read on the interweb that that was that kiss was improvised by Mini Driver. Hmm. It's great. Yeah. I, I love that part. And like, yeah, she immediately like, I love that they immediately address the, you know, the, the issue of, of how he left and, and, you know, the damage that he wrought. Like, it's not something that uh, comes out later. It comes out immediately. Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah, it's so, and, and, and it just builds from there, you know, it's not like anything's wasted. Yeah, exactly. And nothing is kind of, like you said, left for later to build towards. They're like, no, no, we'll just get it all out. And and that, in fact, is Minnie Driver's character. Yeah. She, she's so... I just want to say how great Minnie Driver is in this movie. I, I just... Oh, yeah, so good. She, I, for me, she's the star of this movie, and she's the best part of it. So, anyway. I was thinking about this movie and her, and, like, as much as I love this movie and as much as I love the performances, I feel like every other role in this movie I could see another actor mm-hmm. in except for Minnie Driver. Mm-hmm. Yes, I literally can't separate that character from the actress. That's 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 very well said. I don't see it working with someone else. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there are apparently three versions of this movie, one that was like true to the script, one that was a little more embellished, and then one that was off the wall rockers improvised, everyone went big, and uh Armitage said he used 80% of those takes in this movie. So there's a much more subdued version of this film out there. But I think using Minnie Driver to her limit was the absolute right thing to do. Like, And it's, yeah, he uses, from what I understand, he used a lot of improv in this yeah. movie. He let the actors improv a lot. And I think that shows in, like, all the weird 
dialogue <laughs> that happens. Like, there's just weird things that people say. Yeah. And I remember when I saw it as a kid, just like kind of thinking like I like this and it's cool but like I probably don't get a lot of the references and watching it now it's like no it's not a reference it's just like weird shit people are saying and it's kind of made, like why is Dan Aykroyd always That's saying what I was popcorn, say popcorn. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but it's cool it's funny it's it works so weird and like when she's like leaning against the, the wall and is like you're a psycho and she says it with her hand like it's just so playful and almost like I don't know. When I went to theater school, that's how people behaved. Like, you know, all the actors were just like showing off for each other. And that's what it felt like on screen, except it really... Less cringy. <laughs> way less cringy. <laughs> and and it really supported the characters. Like, the I felt like these characters would actually do that. And like her running back to her bed and being like, do an airplane, like fly. Like, it was all that stuff was just so weird and delightful and made this movie so much better than the movie it could have been. Yeah, they they all feel like they have a history and every character feels like like they're quirky and they're having like little short scenes with John Cusack, but they all feel so real. We feel like we're just getting glimpses of these people and then they're leaving and having their own story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they feel like they have their own thing going on. Even Minnie Driver to an mm-hmm. extent, like she's just got these weird details like she just went through a divorce and then like at one point when we see that she's living at home, she's like, oh, yeah, my apartment burned down. It's like, her, your apartment burned down? <laughs> like the, yeah, that's a so whole many... other movie right there. Yeah. And we don't have time to, like, go into it, but you just, like, get the sense that there are all these other stories happening in the background, and it just, like, fills in the... Uh fills in the background in such a realistic way. Like, even, like, when we get to the... Uh, reunion scene not to jump ahead too much there's just a a character in a wedding dress and they never (laughs) address it no one talks about it no one explains it it's just like yeah there's probably something weird happening there we just we don't have time to (laughs) stop probably a species deal with that remember the species wore a wedding dress for a while anyway yeah uh, yeah yeah, uh, but you know things aren't all the same in Gross Point as when Martin Blank left it ten years ago. Like for example, he goes back home and he finds that his house is not there, but rather it is a convenience store, which is inconvenient for him. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. saying it, knowing that you hate your own joke. I love it. I love the delivery. No, I love that. my joke. <laughs> Oh man! And yeah, but this is also see... a great sequence. This is great—the destruction of the uh, of the of the mart of the convenience store. Well, I was gonna go. I was gonna say he goes to visit his mom first, and uh, oh god, and she's sad. This is the this is the scene <laughs> of the movie that I didn't remember because I think I blocked it out. Yeah, like forced myself not to remember. <laughs> that it. doesn't happen to our parents, does it? <laughs> oh god. Yeah, it was it was so sad and uh, and like something I went with through with like my grandmother. So it was like it was really interesting to like see on screen and be like, your grandmother was a professional hitman. <laughs> <laughs> she 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 would have been man. She she would have been. But yeah, no, it was just it was just an interesting scene to see, and it really showed you a lot about his character too. The fact that he didn't feel a need to come home and almost maybe ran away from home for that reason or could never come back for this for the same reason well i still i still remember when this movie came out i remember reading a review in the paper 
I don't remember which paper it was, but I, I still remember reading them talk about the scene that comes right after that, where he goes to the grave, um, <laughs> the, the cemetery and visits his dad's grave. And just like, there's no dialogue. He just takes out a bottle of booze, pours it out in its entirety, tosses the bottle and walks away. And I remember the review saying like that one wordless scene, like tells you all you need to know yeah, about his about, upbringing, about his background. Yeah. yeah. That's how to deal with your man feelings. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I just thought it, it was just so it was informative, but not like you know it didn't it didn't explain it it it, it tells you how to feel about it with like emotion and mm-hmm. like gestures. Yeah, and well, that's the whole like and, and, yeah. yeah, like without you know yeah the the whole screenwriters it's, it's never brought up again. Yeah, tenet of like show don't tell. You know, like you 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 always yeah. want to show not tell, and this does it exactly perfectly. Easily, which ironically is not what they did in Tenet. <laughs> <laughs> they said a lot of things that I couldn't hear in that movie. That was good. But so eventually, John Cusack sort of convinces Minnie Driver to go to the reunion with him as his date, sort of, and uh, so they go and do that. But uh, first, he. She thinks that he's going to stand her up again, and uh, he almost does, but then uh, he doesn't, and then they go, and that's the thing. And they uh, they go to the uh, they go to the the reunion, and it's lots of fun. They see lots of familiar faces from the past. They see Jenna Elfman. She yeah. she went to that school. The guy who plays Abraham on The Walking Dead, he was there. <laughs> okay, sweet. I don't. I it was Jeremy Piven in The Walking Dead. Who are you? Who are you? No, I, well, the guy with the mustache, Bob, who he gets into a oh, fight oh, with. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, crazy. he was. I was still watching The Walking Dead when he was. Yeah, cool. that's yeah. right. And I just want to say about okay. Jenna Elfman because it's funny because her character is talking about like all of this crazy like mysticism and stuff because she had a near-death experience oh, which God. i didn't think was funny at the time but now it's funny because she's a scientologist isn't she yeah oh, i think yeah. you're right yeah i think you're right yeah hmm. yeah she's great she's great <laughs> it's just kinda, this is her like she is, her feature yeah. debut so she she is it? it yeah doesn't she also have that great monologue or whatever in can't, can't hardly, hardly wait, wait. She, yeah she's great at cameos just you know, mm. you just give her thirty seconds. That's all she needs. And the isn't the dad like Mini Driver's dad from Dharma and Greg? I don't know. He was. Oh one of yeah, the dads in that. Yeah, he was one of the dads in that. You're right. He was either the dad to Dharma or to Greg. Mm. <laughs> I don't remember which one of those. Yeah, yeah, and you did mention Jeremy Piven, who is in this movie, because he was just in all the John Cusack rom-com movies at the... Again, it, he got you get a two-for-one deal with the Cusacks, and then if you order right now, we'll throw in Jeremy Piven. Well, you know why? Because... The, the, this, this is just a support group for the, the Cusacks and Jeremy Piven. <laughs> but Jeremy Piven was part of John Cusack's production company that did this movie. And the writing credits, the other three or 17 writers on it are the people in, in John Cusack's production company that oh. uh, took this. Well, yeah. I read I yeah. read on IMDb that uh, Jeremy Piven and John Cusack are like childhood friends. They were high school friends, yeah. Yeah, as well. Mm. Mm. The plot thickens, yeah. Yeah. 
Wasn't he like me too, though? Well, Piven? yeah. Piven has had three accusations against him and so no longer gets TV roles, but is doing stand up across the country. <laughs> Wait. Which everyone wants really? to see that stand up. <laughs> um, and he said that he is, quote unquote, collateral damage of the Me Too movement, that uh, people are thinking he's more Ari Gold than he is himself. No, the the real collateral damage are the audiences at those comedy clubs. <laughs> <laughs> he apparently talks better in his stand up set too, where he's like, "I don't know who they think I was. I I would never do that. I just this just and it's there's no apology in his apology on his tweets. So anyway, yeah, it, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's also no apology on what I'm guessing is called the no apology tour. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I hate about political correctness? <laughs> That's the joke. That's the joke. So he at this uh, at this reunion, this guy's been following me a long time. Uh, they destroyed the convenience store mm-hmm. in this shootout, and he kills him with a pen in the high school, and Minnie Driver sees it. Yeah. Well, it's also the pen that he was just given <laughs> yeah. by like one of his old classmates. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. And, and then he, what's his, he also what, says, like, what's thanks the, to the pen, Bob, like at the end. Like, yeah, yeah. Great. I love it. And it's so like subtle. Like they don't really like draw too much attention attention to the line. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, thank you for the pen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, wait, what's his name? It's Benny the Jet Urquidez. Yeah, yeah. But he's he was like his uh, mentor, his like kickboxing mentor. Yeah, right. yeah. From say anything. Yeah, yeah. And he and he. That's when they met. That's when they met. And he still kickboxes uh, today. This John movie Cusack. is just all John Cusack's friends and family. <laughs> Dude, uh, like, if you could make a movie, wouldn't you? Like, wouldn't you just invite everyone that you like hanging out with? <laughs> like, well, that some, great. some of you don't have screen presence. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I'm not misremembering this, but I did listen to him on WTF a while ago, and I remember him talking about this movie and getting Benny the Jet to be in it. And I think, if I'm remembering right, I think it was the kind of uh, situation where, kind of like with Conan, where they were talking about like, oh, we got to get someone and then like train them mm how to kickbox and then at a certain point they're like well instead of getting like benny to like train some actor why don't we just get him to come yeah yeah he, he i, has I the think that's really cool. look he has the best look like i just love this like squat guy in a suit walking yeah. down the street he's he's yeah. so conspicuous it's amazing and I, I the scene where he comes to the reunion and just looks at all the cards that are still left and he's like it is i <laughs> paul you know whatever the name is <laughs> Uh, I I thought he was so funny, and the way he like kind of like salutes the the woman at the desk <laughs> as he walks away, it's, it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, but I also in that interview, John Cusack was talking about when they were filming the scene, and they said he said like by the end of it, he was just like exhausted and like drenched in sweat and just like bruised, and he said, you know, Benny the Jet didn't look like he'd you know, yeah, even like cracked a sweat. Is that the expression? Broken a sweat. <laughs> he broke uh, all the sweats. <laughs> yeah. John Cusack broke all the sweat. Benny the Jet did not. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's good that he gets the chance to be like in front of the screen. We worked on so many movies behind the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh he kind of uh, you know, gets Jeremy Piven to if if anyone's gonna help you bury a body, I assume it would be Jeremy Piven. 
Um, <laughs> you might as well call him because his hands aren't clean. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what happened between those episodes of Entourage, but uh, it's I don't know if that joke works. I've never <laughs> seen Entourage. <laughs> Didn't he get mercury poisoning from David Mamet's play or something? I don't know. What? Was it, was it him who got mercury poisoning and he had to like drop out of a play or something? Oh, my God. From eating too much sushi? <laughs> was he eating too many buffalo head nickels? So, yeah, they get rid of the body. But, yes, Minnie Driver sees him kill somebody, and then she realizes that all this joking about being a professional killer wasn't jokes. And, mm. uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's a problem because, I mean, you – <laughs> it sucks. Let me tell you, when you like somebody, you like, you know, maybe you start to have some feelings or maybe there's some feelings reunited. And then uh, you find out something about them, like, you know, they voted for Trump or they're a professional killer or Ooh. those are the big One, two. One's worse. One's worse. <laughs> yeah. um, I can forgive the killing. It'd be like, they were all bad people, though, right? It's like, well, what does bad mean? It's like, OK, just shut up. <laughs> Also, I, I do the whole disposing of the body scene, I think, is also pretty great mm-hmm. where Jeremy Piven comes and helps him because they have to, like, tear down the, like, believe and you can achieve <laughs> banners to, like, wrap the corpse up. Yeah, in. yeah, it's pretty good. It's, 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 it's pretty good. But so then, I mean, he finally is it he finally looks at, like, who he's supposed to be there to kill because he's been yeah. so he's been so wrapped up in all of this, like, you know the past and Debbie and going to this high school reunion and, you know, that he didn't even bother to look at the folder. And wouldn't you know it, it's Debbie's dad. So, you know, no no shotgun jokes, old man, when I pick up your daughter, huh? Because I'm packing too. And and this is what I just, I I do love this about this rom-com that it, like so many rom-coms have that like false fight where they're just like we can't be together because you like red jelly beans and i also like right. red jelly beans and we need to split the jelly beans. too different uh, and uh and this is like you've been reading my jelly bean script haven't you <laughs> look it's coming along it's just a draft or two away but this it just has such a uh ir- irreconcilable difference so when they do kind of like butt heads in the hotel room where he's staying she's like no i never want to see you again like you aren't going to change my mind yeah and he's he looks he's got like a gun in one hand he looks crazed and she's freaking out yeah you're right it's the most like realistic version of that like third act split Mm -hmm. yeah totally and then he has to go save save the dad which is uh which you know might put him back in the good books hopefully if he can pull it off yeah and the dad, I don't know if I ever really noticed this before or thought much of it, but I guess the reason why the dad is being hunted is because he's like a whistleblower for a car company that had leaky sunroofs. Is that? Yeah, what? he said really? something about that, yeah. but I didn't know whether it was like a joke or he didn't understand or... Because you no, know, he yeah, because they say he, they call him a whistleblower at the beginning. They're like, you got to kill some whistleblower before a deposition or something. Ah. And then at the end, when John Cusack's saving him, he's like, all this for leaky sunroofs. I mean, it's no joke. Four people drowned in a sedan. <laughs> oh shit! Where's the handle? Yeah, yeah. It's. I thought it was. It was for something else because John Cusack 
does say like still still defending oil companies and and mob bosses and stuff like i felt like it was a bigger thing but if it's just leaky sunroofs right yeah that's also kind of a funny thing that he's done all these he's defended all these horrible people but then turned state's evidence on this leaky sunroof thing (laughs) i don't know (laughs) yeah i'm not sure yeah because yeah he does have that line where he says he's been like exploiting the people yeah yeah exactly it's a joke about that yeah yeah but he he shoots a bunch of holes in a bunch of people and puts dan Aykroyd back on tv and that's (laughs) (laughs) and you're not talking about a soul man revival (laughs) (laughs) i forgot about that what was what was the paranormal show he did in canada sci sci factor sci factor sci factor was so bad it was just like we need to fill the slot of X Files. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that like some of this movie is improv because when we first meet Dan Aykroyd's character, he starts talking about like psycho energy, <laughs> psychic energy, and telekinesis. <laughs> totally, totally. He's like, I made love to a ghost. They're like, we have to cut that out. We really have to cut that out. <laughs> Martin, what you need is a refreshing sip of new Crystal Head vodka. <laughs> no, no, uh, man. That's so funny. Yeah. But he does. He he kind of kills them all, and the father gives their, his blessing to yeah. marriage. Well, I mean, he, he basically does the whole reconciliation speech while the shootout is happening. It's pretty, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing because he's just like, you know, you'll be like, and, you know, what I came to realize is, is that, hold on, bang, 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 that, I, I love you. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. I was always afraid to commit to a relationship. What? Now I'm ready to make it happen. We need to go upstairs now. It's not easy for me. I always control my emotions, my feelings, you know, and I just need time to change. Go in there. Lock the door. I wasn't exactly raised in a loving environment. It's not an excuse. It's a reason. You know, my soul was empty. It's up to me to fill it. It's great, yeah, because he's. It's this is the first time where he's telling the honest version of what happened. Yeah. When he left. And it's not like it's even that different from what we know happened. It's just he's kind of like explaining a little bit of his thought process and again like watching it now like thinking a bit more of it like the thing i i hadn't really thought too much about is like the the thing that he says the reason why he left was specifically because he loved mini driver and he had these like murderous (laughs) impulses he thought he should be far away from her Mm. so that like kind of like nudges it out of the realm of selfishness and you know makes it a little a little more uh Relatable. I'm just saying. I can't be with it you because I need to kill people. <laughs> could it, yeah, just write write it down. Just write well, it also, down. Well, I mean, he do, he he does say like you know that he had this like terrible home life and like it's not it's not like a rationalization, but it's it's an explanation right. that he you know he filled that with. It would have been funny if and in like, the script he was like, "You should have seen me in my father's grave pouring out a bottle of whiskey." That tells you everything <laughs> you need to know. You know? <laughs> it's like, damn it. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think I, I th- also think like there is. I mean, we we get uh, you know bits of this throughout the movie, but like there is something, you know, uh, there's something different watching it now, where 
I'm older than all of these characters. I don't know if I've watched it since being older than John Cusack. And I do feel like a certain sympathy towards him, more of a sympathy in terms of like the story of him being like a young impressionable kid who joins the military and gets kind of like scooped up and exploited by like, Mm. uh, you know, government black ops missions and forced to like go in and, 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 uh, because he had this like, you know, moral flexibility. He was the one that was recruited for these, uh, you know, <laughs> these off the books, uh, secret missions. And, and then, you know, he eventually went into business for himself, but like, I, yeah, I do feel more of like a protectiveness about like, you know, retroactively thinking about like an impressionable young kid being kind of caught up in this, especially like, I mean, they, the movie is so good because they call out specifically like the things that are happening and make jokes about them. So it doesn't feel like trite, but like when we first meet Dan Aykroyd, he says like, I, you know, he t- tells him like, I'm not looking for a, f- a father figure, but that's totally what it is. Like he, you know, he filled this like vacuum of family with this like military family mm-hmm. and these, like these goons that he ended up working with. I don't know. I, I just feel like I, I feel so much more sympathy for him now i feel so much more like his his decision it was it's less about his decision making than it is about him being kind of like exploited by the american government Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that's like a great point you know even if like not every kid turns out to be a professional killer you know it's still you know there's still a lot of exploitation and all that stuff Mm-hmm. Well, and the uh, the other thing about this ending where he's like finally be- he's being so honest in terms of like talking about where he's come from and where he's been and why he did what he did. But there's also like a certain honesty to him just like blatantly killing all of these people very skillfully, like because a part of it's like he knows that he's good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just kind of like being totally himself in front of everybody for the first time. Yeah. 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 His kind of two truths are, are reconciled together. In a, in a final moment. Yeah. 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 And then this movie just kind of ends. I don't remember it being that fast uh, of an ending, but it's like there's a shot in the car, Mini Driver does a voiceover, and we're out to like, damn. They're gone. It was so quick. There was no like, we had to rewind it. Me and my wife were watching it because we're like, wait, why does how does she forgive him or like you know get on side with him and it's just like he has a gun (laughs) (laughs) no i love that because like he he says like will you marry me and she just like shuts the door in his face (laughs) and then and then we later see them like riding together and i don't know if you read this blaine in your research but i was reading one interview where he was saying like uh where george armitage was saying that they had other scenes of like them like talking it through right, and like right, reconciling right. and they all just felt kind of flabby and it, it kind of made the ending drag. Yeah. And he said like they were in a screening room and I think it was one of the executives just said, Hey, why don't we just cut from that to them driving away? And they tried it and it totally works. Mm-hmm. And you just figure like, yeah, they, everything indicates that they like each other and want to be with each other. And they have, found a way to well, work through this and his thing that she had a problem with like saved her dad's life and he's no longer doing it he can give it up yeah for her, right yeah so, he'll never yeah. go back <laughs> and a certain part of it's the honesty too yeah. right like it's it's not just the the thing that he did it's it's you know the betrayal of of him not being totally truthful yeah 
Yeah, I also think that the characters are just so well drawn by these actors and their improv and the script that we can understand what they'd say to each other. Like, we can almost play that scene in our mind that we don't need it. You're right. It is just a little abrupt because we we don't have voiceover any other time in the movie. It's just her. But I guess it's her on recording in the studio, right? So it's not quite a voiceover. It's like her on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Saying that she's not she's forgiving, forgetting. She's done with it. She doesn't need it. She's just getting out of town. It's a good one. It's a good one. So we're gonna take a small little break. Then we're gonna come back fast and furious for some trivia after these messages. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, and welcome back to Rewatchability. We are talking about Gross Point Blank. I had some trivia for you guys but uh but we've already talked about a lot of it so we're gonna play a different game what uh, this evening <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna play a different game and it's gonna be called i don't i'm making it up right now who who said that question mark <laughs> <laughs> so so these are these are tweets these are tweets from people that we've talked about in this movie so far the stars of the movie and you get to try to match the tweet to the star. Okay. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's go let's go with number one. Okay, Jimmy. Fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't this have to be a fun one. to do a carpool karaoke or something. <laughs> okay, so let's go. Let's go with thrilled to be victorious in this case. Thank you to everyone involved. Moving forward to the next chapter. It's a it's a case someone was involved in and they won. Who might that have been? Huh. Jeremy. <laughs> oh no. He will not win that case. <laughs> did did Minnie Driver have a thing recently? Like a lawsuit? Who knows? Was it Jenna Elfman on behalf of the Church of Scientology? <laughs> <laughs> they want another landmark case and more land. No, Take that, uh, Leah Remini, whatever your name is. Is it Remini? Yeah, it's Leah Remini. Um, that's good. Okay, it's uh, it's Dan Aykroyd after oh. after he uh, someone made a, a tequila in a crystal skull. <laughs> <laughs> From f- from from a part of the world in which that actual myth was part of their culture, mm. so so he won that case against oh them. Look, God. the aliens gave Dan Aykroyd the patent to Crystal Skullbug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For my next witness, I'd like to call the ghost of Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> Mr. Lincoln. <laughs> Pre- sorry, President Lincoln uh, <laughs> rolls out the trap. <laughs> And to be and to be fair, he put he put vodka in a skull first. You know what? What? Wait. So he won that? Yeah, case? he won it because he has a trademark of, no. of giving vodka on the human skull. Yeah, a crystal we skull. All him okay. Money now. 
I, I yeah, he should have sued Indiana Jones uh, for that movie not to come out. He would have been everyone's hero. It would have been well. He was friends with Indiana Jones. He was in he was in part two. Yeah. So oh yeah, yeah, maybe he maybe he let him use it. Okay, so the five G will be proven to be very very bad for people's health. I got source in the scientific oh, no. community. <laughs> I'm wondering if these are all going to be. Yeah, <laughs> I, um, you my might just alien be right. Pal, Vlaxnor told me 5G <laughs> will dealign your crystals. But then you know now, now I'm thinking that John Cusack was in that Stephen King movie Cell, which was about how evil cell phones are. <laughs> I think it's Jenna Elfman. That sounds like some some like woo that all maybe right. Jenna Elfman. She's, I'm going to say Dan Aykroyd. She, she's going to get Dan a lot Aykroyd. of shade. She's getting a lot of shade from you guys. Um, it was actually John Cusack. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, that was actually John Cusack. But he did. He also tweeted out something that was bring on the six G, rapidly anti-Semitic. Uh, it was just this 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 thing that was like follow the money, and he didn't really realize that it was. He thought it was about the government and not about the Jewish people. So he was like, "I apologize. I tweeted. I retweeted that before I really looked at it. That's my fault. I'll, I'll learn my lesson." So I thought "Follow the Money" was from All the President's Men. Yeah, I think maybe that's why. I don't know, but uh, sure. okay. So how can so many people in America love so much that is awful? Mm. Mm. That's Piven. <laughs> he's just talking, He's talking about, about his, his own career. Yeah, <laughs> like, they love Entourage. Have you seen that? It's morally reprehensible. I'm gonna say the lady who played the teacher who doesn't have Ethan Frome on the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Okay, she I like good. that. People in America. That's a clue. The only non-American in this Mini Driver. Mini Driver um, oh. said that, and then you forgot Dan Aykroyd's Canadian. Oh yeah, yeah, I did really forget that, and then. Let's go with with my favorite one, pans. Am I right? Question mark. Mm. Pans. Pans. P A N S. Pans. Am I right? Oh, pans. Pans. You are right. Pans. Am I right? Question mark. You're pans. Right. Am I right? Yeah. Someone who got like really bad reviews of something. It's a, it's a lone tweet. No, no what explanation. What kind of pan are we talking about? No explanation. Okay. <sighs> Alan Arkin is he on oh, Twitter? Oh yeah. And you guessed it right. It was Alan Arkin. Oh, yeah. he just he just tweeted all this random stuff. Like his first few tweets were like, were, were like hi. And it was just hi, and then, and then it was like delete tweet, omit hi. And the next three tweets were like him making jokes on the fact that he couldn't use Twitter. It was I just That's love cool. this. Guy. I love I love seeing legendary actors on Twitter. Do you guys remember when Bob Balaban so joined Twitter? He followed yeah. us. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, your your podcast sounds really interesting. Like revisiting old movies. I'll check it out." And I was like, I thought that was really cool, but also I was like, I don't think Bob Balaban's going to like our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> No. Which is too bad because we I love Bob Balaban. We love us. I love Bob Balaban. I think it's not going to be his no, company. Yeah, no. fair enough. Just, just a guess. Fair enough. He loves tea. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe he's listening <laughs> to this. I've been a long time listener. I've, I've been listening for near a decade. <laughs> okay, so that's that's the end of our the best trivia runs that have been played on rewatchability. Wow. Thank you so much, guys. Wow. It was, it you was should really you should get Trebek's old job. I mean, I'm pretty good at it. What is uh, not? <laughs> I I okay. Um, 
that was a, a big big critique. You, I'll take it as such. Um, so Tom Jankowitz wrote this movie. He was invited to his 10-year high school reunion, and he was trying to be a screenwriter while he worked in retail and was a teacher because that's how much people care about paying teachers. And, Did it um, ever work out for him? And uh, it did. The screenplay, Rob. So he went, he, he, he got the invitation. He went, this would make a good film. His, his brother said that he just went to the, what can I, I can only assume as a typewriter back then. I don't know. It was 2000. Um, and uh, not 2000. It was, it was uh, 1991 when he finished this and shopped it around. He got a clay tablet. He chiseled some stone, and it does seem funny to me that he's a screenwriter with the last name Jankowitz because it just seems like he's the off-brand Mankowitz, <laughs> right? Yeah, Jank. <laughs> when, when, when is David Fincher's movie about the screenwriter of Gross Point Blank coming out? Oh man! So he, you know, this movie was a was a big hit. I mean, not a huge hit, but critics liked it. The audiences liked it. It made twenty eight million on fifteen million budget, and he then became a kind of script doctor, helping other people with their scripts in Hollywood. Oh. And he had a spec script that was being shopped around. And they got bought by Mandalay Pictures in two thousand. And it was called Kung Fu Theater, and it was about a person who gets kind of sucked into a kung fu movie and has to live in that movie or find a way back. A little bit of last so, action hero. A little last action hero, but with kung fu film. I'm there for it. I want to see that. I like that concept. So he that never he died, that never got he? made, and then he eventually uh, was invited to do a uh, a talk back at his alma mater about. This movie, so they showed the movie, and in the middle of the Q&A, he collapsed, and he was pronounced dead at the hospital 40 minutes later. I know. Yeah, so awful. In front of all these students, is yeah, it's just uh, it's a sad story. At 49, he was a very uh, very young man to have a heart attack. The uh, only worst thing at a Q&A is when somebody says, this is more of a comment. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Honestly, if he died before that, he got off easy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, oh, I, yeah, I don't want to make light of, no, of his sorry. of his passing because that, really that is sad. But I, I am with Rob. No Q and A ever goes well. I've never been to a Q and A and thought that went well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just died to get out of it. Jeez, no. Yeah, yeah that's um, really sad. I mean, it he, is. Yeah, it's awful. What a great, like, legacy to leave, you know, with, like, you know, only having, like, one screenplay and it being, like, one of these movies that is, like, you know, really unique and really great. And, you know, lots of people remember it very fondly. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also, I know it was, like, heavily rewritten by Cusack and his friends and the director and 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 all these people. But, uh, you know, that central concept of, like, you know, the hitman going back for his high school reunion is just a great idea and also like you know he wrote this in 91 you Mm -hmm. said that's like so ahead of the curve in terms of like the like mid 90s like tarantino Mm -hmm. like hitman movie renaissance that was about to happen yeah yeah exactly and tarantino really was a big fan of george armitage to such an extent that he apparently wanted to be an extra in this film though that never materialized 
Well, there's the scene where the uh, you can see the Pulp Fiction standing yeah. in mm-hmm. the convenience store, and it gets shot yeah, up. Yeah. And I, lo- you know, I love that scene because I think at the time I just thought it was funny, but watching it now, it kind of puts the whole movie in a different light in a way because it's also like, well, this is a world where Pulp Fiction exists, so it also kind of explains the John Cusack being like the slick assassin with the suits and the sunglasses and everything like to to a certain extent you can see how he's also trying to emulate those kind of movie mm-hmm. guys at the time it's not just a movie it's not just another hitman movie it's a movie about a hitman in a world where hitman movies are also a thing i mean that's also like you know that's partly why like every time he says he's a hitman everyone just reacts they think it's funny I'm surprised no one was like, Pulp Fiction just came out. <laughs> I just rented it at the Ultramart. <laughs> that movie made a lot of people go into hit manning. It made it look really, you know, romantic and all that. They need a they need to choose a better name for hit manning, you know? It's just uh, Yeah. Yeah. None of them. Someone are will good. come up with something. Ass- assin? Yeah. Come on. It has two asses in it. <laughs> okay. Gun for so, hire? Kind of phallic, right? So- <laughs> So let's wrap up here and go around and say if we think it's rewatchable. I think I know our answer. Rob, do you want to start us off? You know, actually, I I was really looking forward to rewatching this one, but it left me a little bit cold, to be honest. Oh, fuck yeah. you. Wow. I, you know, and you guys Sorry. brought up a lot of good points, but I don't know. Like, I find... I find it sort of lacking in a certain in a few in a few sense like there isn't really any there's not a lot of like tension or like motivation. I mean like Cusack's motivation is kind of just to go out with Mini Driver and do this thing, but like there isn't no, no his motivation is like finding a new life, like doing something. He's at this crossroads. Well, that's like I mean, that's his internal. Like, do thing. I reengage with humanity? But that's not like what he's like. Th- he doesn't have like a main like purpose, like that he's externally like working towards. He's just sort of like in this town for this reunion, and whatever happens, happens, and you know, hopefully, he doesn't get killed. But I mean, it could use something that's a little bit more like integral to like his being in order to sort of I don't know make it more engaged. And you know, I like all the stuff with Mini Driver, but I also I kind of do wish that there was like a real like, a real conclusion to that. Like, okay, so he saves her dad's life, and I guess that makes it okay that he's probably killed, like, hundreds of people. Like, think about this. He probably has, like, hundreds of people who want to kill him. You just can't stop being a hitman and be like, okay, guys, I'm out. You know, he's going to have to be on the run for the rest of his life. So, you know, and yeah, he's probably going to go back. Come on. Nobody quits forever. It's like it's like smoking or, you know, you you go back. So I don't know. Oh, yeah. You know, that reminds me. We didn't talk about the sort of pseudo sequel, the spiritual sequel right. to this oh. movie that was War Inc. Right. Did you guys watch that? I think I, I did, think but I don't I remember enjoying it. I, I, it's so forgettable yeah, it was to me. Bad. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a pseudo sequel because like, John yeah, Cusack he's... is his assistant again, and Dan Aykroyd is a is a bit player in it, and he's a hitman. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd's a different character. It's it's more of like yeah, a fierce creatures, say. fish called Wanda <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, yeah. So Fair I'm enough. I'm gonna say it's mildly rewatchable. There's still a lot of fun stuff that happens, and like it it it's a very cool '90s movie. Like it sort mm-hmm. of uh, synthesizes a lot of the great things about like 
you know, 90s movies, like the sort of rom-com aspects, the cool, hip Tarantino aspects, and it does do it in a sort of fun way. I don't know. I, 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 thought, it would be, I thought it would be something more, but that's just me. Okay, now you guys can say what you – you guys can just <laughs> blow my opinion out of the water. Well, I'm not going to blow your opinion out of the water. I think that, that you know, there – you you have your opinion man no, no, it just no. it's just wrong and uh <laughs> no no it's not wrong it's i i just really love this movie and i and i loved it so much before and watching it uh this time i watched it with my wife and um i i'm more of a script guy i love those little lines i love the little bits of improv that like kind of come out of the script the way it's constructed and i look at that and she looks at you know the relationships between characters in the movie and um and that kind of je ne sais quoi of two stars in this rom-com and i i got us like i agree with her it, this these two people were electric like they were just very um on the same level like and almost like egging each other on in these scenes in such a unique wonderful way that made it so that when i was a kid i was like this is a look a little bit caustic and it's a bit weird but now as an adult i realized those it just it just felt like everyone was so comfortable with each other and everyone was having so much fun so i had so much fun watching it um i i yeah some of the hitman stuff i was just like i don't need to like it's kind of the opposite of when i was a kid and i watched it and loved the hitman stuff and it was like oh that's cool he kills him with a pen and he like flips the lid off and it's an insert shot and that's fun um this was more like the airplane scene you know fly me on an airplane we'll see if i can let you take me to the to the reunion and stuff all that stuff was just so great and and so lovely to watch and uh made it really rewatchable did you make for your me. wife give you an airplane <laughs> <laughs> i just want to fly so yeah so i i think it's it's just uh there's a lot of rewatchability factor in it just even the little lines like jam you were talking about her her house burning down but it burned down on Devil's Night or something, which is the night before yeah. Halloween in Chicago where there's a lot of arson that happens. So there's just like all these little things that connect to other little things that you can kind of go down rabbit holes on. I, yeah, I just really thought it was a refreshing movie and in its time period could have done a lot of things that other movies did in its time period that it didn't do. And I really liked that. I also really loved the guy who played, I think his name was Bob with the mustache. I thought he did Abraham great, from The Walking Dead. Abraham from The Walking Dead. Yeah. I, I thought he did a a great job in that interaction between yeah. those Good. two men. Was he has soulful uh, eyes? It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, for a while. For a while. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say this is highly rewatchable. I will I will rewatch it again, and and it's kind of I think it's going to be one of those movies where people are like, "What was a." nice surprise in rewatchability of something that was rewatchable i think i'll probably mention this so jm what's uh, what's your verdict i not only think this is rewatchable i think this might be a perfect movie for wow. me i i loved it as a kid i love it as much now i just think it's so terrific i mean part of it is i can't help but escape like the nostalgia of it mm-hmm. like watching it now Makes me think of uh, of seeing it then, but it's just I, I appreciate it on uh, on a whole other level now. I don't know. There's something just like alive about these characters and the way the way they're done. Even like there's when they go to the reunion, like the way 
we see the non-John Cusack characters interact with each other, you get the sense of how, like, well, he's been gone, but they've all been living in this town mm. <laughs> for the most part together since then. So, like, they all still have these, like, weird connections. Like, we even hear, like, Jeremy Piven, like, bought his BMW from Bob, the drunk guy we meet later. And, you know, it, it just feels very, like, lived in and very real. And, uh, you know, I... I was thinking about the soundtrack a lot because like I said, like that was a big thing for me. Like I watched the movie a bunch, but I listened to the soundtrack even more and I'm not like a big movie soundtrack guy, but uh, you know, for the reasons I said, this one uh, uh, was particularly influential for me, but uh, yeah, like I was doing some reading about it. Cause you know, there's not a lot of writing on the internet about this movie, but there were a few articles about the soundtrack mm-hmm. And uh, there was a good one on the AV Club kind of breaking it down and kind of pointing out like how the movie uses the soundtrack to fairly subtly like mirror what's going on with the characters. Because it's such a terrific soundtrack. Like you would think they just pick the songs purely for the mood, but they're kind of they're reflecting the scenes in ways like I hadn't even really noticed. Maybe it's super obvious, but like when Ru- when the they openings. play Rudy can't fail, they mean like Martin can't fail. Right. <laughs> and the Sean Astin comes. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, the, but like uh, the opening scene, you know, Martin's at this crossroads where he is thinking like he's going to see life in a new way. And the first song is I can see clearly now. And the first shot of the movie is literally him rinsing out his eye, Rob. Right. <laughs> and they play I can see clearly right. now. Uh, and uh, because the rain is gone and it's, you know, him kind of coming out of this fog of the last 10 years. But I mean, there's lots of other examples of things like that. The the fight scene against the other assassin is mirror in the bathroom is kind of his his mirror image. There's other, you know, sort of parts where like lines live and uh, let die. He lives and he lets die. Well, live and let die. That's about he's he's living, but he's letting like his childhood die oh. because his that's the song that comes when he sees that his house has been replaced by a convenience store. And um, then they're playing the and music the, I, version in the convenience store. That's funny. Yeah, because that's another thing I like about it is like the music is always or almost always, uh, apart from, we didn't talk about how the score is by Joe mm-hmm, Strummer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and there's a lot is, of cl- clash music the score in there as well. in this movie? <laughs> well, it's hard to tell because some of it sounds like songs, <laughs> but it is in there. Okay. It's just kind of like, he does some like, uh, kind of like synthy jams ah, that are okay. pretty cool, but there are some other like jangly guitar bits that just sound like, you know, fragments of songs that he wrote, I guess. I just thought maybe it was cheaper um, to get him as the composer and maybe you get a couple of Clash songs in there for free than just pay for the Clash songs individually. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he gave them a rate. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and also, like, yeah, so I, I, I just think uh, that the songs, yeah, they're, like, built into the fabric of the movie, not just because they're, like, going to a dance, but, like, Mini Driver being this DJ. And also the songs being, like, this nostalgia thing for the characters. And, like, even, like, the AV Club article was pointing out, like, it doesn't really make sense. No. Like, <laughs> like, the music is almost implausibly good for who these characters would be. Like, she was saying, like, you know, at this high school reunion like they'd probably be playing like peter gabriel yeah you know like they wouldn't be playing all these like you know deep cut (laughs) yeah so i but i mean it's so good and even like you know the blister in the sun thing we're talking about like he 
it it kind of is like a low key, uh, you know, character beat. It, it it shows you how his character is transformed in like a, a subtle way because as he's coming into town, Blister in the Sun is blaring on the speakers for like ten seconds, and he turns it off. Mm-hmm. He turns it to the Clash. And then the end of the movie, he's leaving town, but he's letting Blister in the Sun play mm. in. Um, I also remember because yeah, like I had not heard the Violent Femmes. I remember being super into that song because of the soundtrack. As were my friends, and then having like one friend at school that was into them, and him being like, you know, you guys know that song's about masturbation, <laughs> <laughs> and we we're like, no. <laughs> We just saw it in a movie about like a hitman and thought it was cool and like no like look at the lyrics and it is it is about aren't off. all songs about jerking um, off though kind yeah, of isn't all uh, artistic expression but, just jerking off go on Jay. <laughs> but I do think the soundtrack I just wanted to kind of highlight that because I think it is like so central to the movie's success and. Uh, not least of which because it's, you know, it's the bones on which, like, a lot of the story kind of rests on top mm-hmm. of. And, uh, man, I just, I just think this movie's terrific. I, I'm i kind of bummed that George Armitage didn't do that much. Like, he's like a Corman guy. Like, he, yeah. he did, like, was black making, spo- like, blaxploitation yeah. movies. And then after this movie, he made The Big Bounce, like, the shitty Elmore right. Leonard movie with Owen Wilson. And then he never made anything else. And, uh it's too bad because yeah, this movie's awesome. I uh, will defend this movie um, for the rest of my life. Uh, I think it's it's special, in my opinion. All right, so rewatchable, mildly, right? Just like mildly rewatchable. You can you can round up. It's you can say it's rewatchable. <laughs> We're gonna say this movie gets the rewatchability stamp of approval. We have a stamp, right? Thank you so... No, we're still waiting for the stamps. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, thank you so much for listening this week. We're going to come back to you next week with another movie from the past, a blast from the past, maybe blast from the past with Brendan Fraser. Who knows? We probably won't do that one. Um, uh, he was trending on Twitter the other day, so we probably should have done it then. Oh, yeah. Great idea. <laughs> well, we'll go to the past and do it. And uh, you can find all our back catalog at rewatchability.com. You can find us on any podcast play thing player. You're listening to us on one right now, so you don't need to be told that. But you can talk, contact us at uh, Facebook, Instagram. You can go to patreon.com and kick us a few bucks. You can tell a friend about the podcast because that's even more uh, more better than cash for us is tell everyone at your high school reunion yeah oh that's what i forgot to ask sorry i know like we're ending the show and no one is even listening anymore they've turned it off to listen to a different podcast but did you guys have high school i was gonna ask this too i I was gonna ask this no (laughs) you just didn't want to feel left out (laughs) (laughs) so you didn't go to your high school reunion rob i i don't think that we had one i mean i remember when i was in high school they were preparing for like a 50 year reunion for the high school so maybe they were just trying to like you know get all the uh assassins in at the same place and time (laughs) (laughs) but uh i don't know i mean i never got any i never got any letter maybe i was invited i don't know i mean yeah i don't know yeah my high school was turned into a store no it was it was it's being demolished and turned into a, like a residence at Queens, I think, in mm-hmm. Kingston. 
I don't really know uh, what other people are more involved in that than I am. But I never got anything. It's probably being torn down by Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I, I never, I never got, uh, I never got an invitation either. Although I did go back many years later and film a short film at my old high school, and that was a trip. That was a really weird. What about you, JM? Did you? Yeah, we never had one either. Yeah. it's it's just not a thing people do anymore i thought it was more mm-hmm. of an american thing i mean maybe also just because maybe. i mostly know it from episodes of american tv like the one with the simpsons go to the high school reunion or the one yeah i remember like when it was, would have been my 10-year high school reunion i had probably because of gross point blank <laughs> like i thought it would be a thing that i'd be invited to and then i realized it wasn't happening and i thought oh that's too bad i thought this was like a a you know a touchstone like a cultural touchstone that I've seen in movies and then I thought do I have to be the one to organize it and then I immediately thought I'm not going to do that because then I'd be like that woman at the desk <laughs> who was so annoying so uncool so I'm not, man I'm not going to so do that. uncool yeah people who do things I'd be I'm the Martin stuff. Blank <laughs> like he. <laughs> invite me and then have me like pretend like I'm too cool to go that's yeah. that's my job. Here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe they're all saving up for the twenty five year anniversary, like to to get us back there, because that's like a more substantial ten years doesn't even feel like anything. No, yeah, know? that's the thing. Like ten years doesn't seem like enough to reunite. Also, I guess the other thing is that we all have Facebook, so if there are any people that you want to know what they're doing from high school, you can just do that. Mm, that's true. That is true. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. And, you know, I did want to say one last thing about the music in this movie. In the reunion scene, that scene where John Cusack's holding the baby and so Under good. Pressure is playing is so I good. Know. That's one of also, my favorite scenes in any movie. Also, that baby acting? Come on. What do you mean you don't know? You don't like that I part? I think that's, like, a little bit a little bit much. You know, I mean, great song, great baby. But it's kind of like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the moment where he, like, learns to feel. like, I could never feel empathy until I looked into a child's eyes while under pressure by David Bowie and Queen Wings playing. I don't know. It just seems like No, I why would he even have been, like, in the same room as a baby? All his friends are Well, he probably, like, killed like some assassins. people who had children. Oh, that's true. <laughs> He's just, like, looking at the baby in the eye before he takes out his gun. <laughs> I will also say, I before this podcast, I went for, like, a walk. And I put on the uh, Gross Point Blank nice. soundtrack, and I was listening to it, and it made me feel great. And I was listening to Under Pressure, and I was like, man, why don't I just listen to the song every day? Every time I go for one of these you know, pandemic quarantine walks, I'm listening to like fucking Tom Waits <laughs> or some sad music as I skulk around. But put on Under Pressure. It's, it cheered me right up. I let you right. that day. <laughs> well, that's it from us at rewatchability thank you so much for listening and uh go pick up that soundtrack listen to that soundtrack it's a good one and uh i'll sell you my tape (laughs) it's worn in all the right places it's just jam it in your spotify (laughs) it sounds gross when you say it and you know it's not on spotify the soundtrack I guess maybe they don't have soundtracks on there. So I, what I listened to was a playlist that someone had made just using all the tracks from individual oh, albums, mm-hmm. which also meant the uh, Let My Love Open the Door, the Pete Townsend song, was not the right version. It was like the version from the album. The version in this movie is like an alternate God version. God damn it. Shit. Is this still recording? <laughs> Sadly. Is anyone listening? Okay. Good night.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.